Welcome back to Booklands and this edition of The Track. My name's Tim Morris. We hope you've had a great Christmas and are looking forward to a, a brilliant new year. Brooklands has been uh, really busy this year with uh, a full events programme and uh, a full members events programme as well. It's been great uh, coming out of the Covid pandemic to uh, do all these things again and we look forward to more of them in 2023. Sadly, uh, we lost three of the people that we've uh, hosted as guests at Brooklyn's evening events. Tony Brooks, Paddy Hopkirk and Patrick Tombay uh, all provided us with some great entertainment. And uh, this show today is, is a bit of a tribute to them. And we're going to hear again from uh, Paddy Hopkirk, who we only hosted earlier this year. And uh, later we'll hear from Tony Brooks, who we recorded in conversation with Simon Taylor in 2017. And we'll also have a a brief musical interlude where we head back to the synth pop of the 1980s. And uh, another of my rather loose connections to Brooks. Let's start with uh, Paddy Hopkirk. I'm very old, as you can see, and I haven't driven rally cars for a long time, thank God. And um, I've, uh, I work for the Institute of Advanced Motoring, and the Institute of Advanced Motoring is a charity that <clears throat> tries to teach people to drive more safely, and it's very good. And uh, when I do the IAM lectures, and that's going around the country to their departments, and some of them's a bit like... <laughs> arriving at Dad's army shed. But anyway, the, um, the, we do the thing on the drink and driving. I'm not going to go into that boring because I love a good drink. Uh, and so I don't drive very much. Anyway, it's quite interesting with between spirits and beers and what have you, but I won't go into that now, it's boring. Just police-wise, uh, now the police are in the news. Chief police lady has just resigned. And I sort of, my wife was high sheriff and I grew up with Sarah Thornton. And Sarah's moved to the Met. I wonder if she'll get the top job or not, but she's a good, nice lady. And my son, William, is in the place, and my, a couple of my grandchildren. And he used to come up down the road with his siren on, blue light going, even when it wasn't necessary. But anyways, <laughs> the, um, we did a great thing. I was uh, on the board of Silverstone for a while. <coughs> Silverstone the British Racing Drivers Club, and I did something which I thought was good because I thought the image of the BRDC is not always good. I think a lot of people think that young racing drivers waste a lot of money, drive badly, and waste champagne. And uh, so what I did, I got the IAM involved with the the better drivers we have, the, the prize winners. And they all became members of the IAM and passed the test, which was great for the IAM and great for them because they'd never heard of the IAM before. And uh, it's a wonderful charity. And if we can get people to drive before 17 and learn about car control, we can save a lot of lives, I think. I always find um, kids from farming families with driving the father's tractor and what have you were, became good drivers. Um, uh, then my first car was a, a Harding that was given to me when I lived in White House outside Belfast. A two-seater bath chair 
really, with a motorcycle jap engine in the back, driving one wheel, and the brakes only worked on the back. So it taught you quite a lot about skid control. And, and we started to rebuild it at the charity I worked with called Skids in High Wycombe. And it's now in the, in the Gaydon Museum. And it's nice because if you start driving at nine years of age, you do get an idea about it, and it was great fun. Um, and I think I learned a lot about skid control from motorbike and cycle. I bought a motorbike when I was young, as you can see, and my father said, you're going to fall off that. So he made me put a sidecar on it. And a motorbike and sidecar, I mean, it's a bit of an old nanny's thing, but it's, uh, it's great because you can steer it with the accelerator. Uh, you can make it go right with the front brake. If you, it's so many different things that make it go in different directions. Fantastic on a slippery road, I promise you. We first made name for the Mini in 63 uh, in the Tour de France, which was a very big event and the first sort of event on television in rallying. And the big Fords would beat the hell out of us up the back straights. It was all the different race, racing circuits in France and Germany, Nuremberg, etc. And uh, we would beat them in the twisty bits. And the French fell in love with the car. And to pick your girlfriend up in Paris in a Mini was much better than an Aston Martin or something. We had the best team of mechanics in the world at Abingdon. Those guys would lie down and die for you. They were fantastic. And thank God we still see them. The Monte Carlo Rally was on the other day. Ford won it. Nobody knows about it. There wasn't an inch in any of the major journals. But um, because it started and finished in Monte, and uh, just to show you, they were very clever, the Monegasque Club, because they, <coughs> they started in Lisbon and Monte Carlo and Frankfurt, and I started in Minsk up there, which is in the news a bit at the moment. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, it got great publicity, but it was a hell of an interesting event. But now it starts in Monte Carlo and finishes, and it gets... I mean, I'm really worried about rallying, I think, it's getting no publicity and no money. Um, of course, the big thing was meeting Princess Grace, who was Grace Kelly, and that was fantastic meeting her. When I got back to London, Castro laid a party on. I think we had drink taken at that time. And uh, uh, give me a photograph of the Beatles who signed that to me, which was lovely. That's, I've still got that picture. Um, and then, of course, it went on Bruce Forsyth's show, which. That was only two channels in those days, BBC and ITV. And there were 27 million viewers on a Sunday night watching ITV. So here was a car being shown to 27 million people. And uh, that's what really put the sales up. Um, the other rally that was very interesting after the, was the long distance one. That was the London-Sydney. Just to show you the route, it went from London across. And I went through Afghanistan. We stayed in Kabul. I mean, it is when I went over the Khyber Pass and down to Bombay. And then when we got to Australia, we went from Perth across the Nullarbor Desert all down to finish in Sydney. And those were great events, those long-distance ones. Uh, and then we did the other long-distance ones that were very interesting was the London-Mexico World Cup Rally. And uh, that, that went all around Europe to Lisbon. And then by boat, we went to Rio de Janeiro and then down through South America and right out and finished in Mexico. Fantastic events. I spent three months in South America practicing for that. Um, and I love the De Chavaux car. I'm very sad it's gone. 
And I, that's why I bought that one for my daughter. I had about six of them. And all my kids learned to drive on the Chevaux, and I think it's a very good car to learn to drive on because if you, took, you haven't got much power for acceleration, but it's a wonderful... It was designed, as you all know, because the French farmers could carry a dozen eggs in it across a ploughed field without breaking them, I think. Anyway, it's a great, great, very happy memories. I love the... In fact, one of them, I had about 10 of them, and one of them started to rust in the chassis vent, and I was trying to fill a hole in my garden, and I put it in the hole and buried it in. <laughs> so the guys with the metal detectors will find it one day and say, oh my God, what's this? Um, now, there we are, that's our job. I work for the Institute of Advanced Motors and the company that makes the wheel locks. And one <clears throat> We started, every company had a slogan for selling, and I put that one in the mission statement was we only do business with people we like. But my son changed it. Uh, he said, unless it's a very big order. <laughs> Paddy, I was reading a story in uh, your book the other evening about yeah, you were practicing on a recce in the Monte Carlo rally, and you saw some lights red lights ahead of you on one of the stages, and you thought, that must be one of the top crews. They're going so bloody fast, you couldn't hardly keep up with them. Do you want to take, pick up the story from there? Yes, yeah. Well, it's absolutely true. We were up and down the Shamroos hill climb outside Grenoble, and I was with Ron Crillon, my co-driver, and we were really fed up. been very snowy and all day and cold, and we got the notes right, and suddenly we saw these lights... And we put our foot down and said, ah, it'll be the Germans and we'll have a few drinks tonight. And, and anyway, we couldn't catch this bloody car. And it was a 2CV, in fact. But it, it was rolling like hell. And when we got by, past it, there was two nuns in there. <laughs> They'd come down from being up seeing the priest at the top of the mountain, you know. Going away from, from from the minis, of course, a very important stage of your career was the uh, was, was the Sunbeam Rapier. In fact, you won the Circuit of Ireland Rally in, in, in one of those. Times, yes, and won the Alpine Rally in that as well. Yeah, no, no, the, the Rapier. Well, we had a very good team manager, Norman Garrod, and we had a wonderful team of mechanics. You know, it's not just the guy behind the wheel. It's always the entourage of the people behind. With BMC, it was the same. We had a wonderful team of mechanics that would do anything for you. And uh, Roots Group was great. In fact, I went to the Roots Group Museum the other day, which is up um, near Banbury, and they've got all the stuff there, really interesting, and I was very honoured to be there. And, uh, and there is a Lord Roots, who apparently lives in the Isle of Wight and still around. But I did show them <clears throat> a picture of a guy called Henry Henkel, and I hope, I don't know if there's any of his relations here or not, but when we went to America to race in the West Coast, California, this guy, Henry Hankel, looked after us with champagne, caviar, and all. Anyway, on his way to Switzerland, he stayed in London in Mayfair with Lord Roots. He stayed in his house, and Lord Roots noticed he had a very big suitcase. And... Um, Anyway, he went off to Geneva the next day. <laughs> it was all over the papers. He, the biggest robbery that uh, uh, the accountants in America had ever had. He sold cars on the HP that weren't his cars, and he had the money in the suitcase. And he said, Lord, that, that's, uh, he was German, actually, but that, that, that takes on brass neck, that does. <laughs> anyway, I found the photograph of him, and they, they put it up in the wall. So.
was Ho-Ho Cam with their track Harlequin Tears from 1985. Uh, you may be wondering the Brooklyn's collection on this one. Well, it's actually a bit more of a personal one today. Uh, the lead singer in this band was uh, called Steve Murtagh. And he was a police officer who worked with me at uh, Walton and Adelstone way back in the 1980s. And uh, part of his beat was Weybridge and, of course, that encompassed Brooklands, uh, which at the time was on the wind down from uh, British Aerospace. But before that, uh, he was in this synth-pop band, Ho-Ho Cam, and went under the stage name of Steve Devier. So uh, look them out. They were signed to Gary Newman's Numa record label. So uh, great things were expected of them, but uh, sadly didn't happen. And Steve ended up on the beat at Walton, looking after Brooklands. And uh, we play this uh, on a sad occasion, because uh, unfortunately uh, Steve passed away uh, just before Christmas. Tony Brooks uh, was a local well-known racing driver uh, who died earlier this year as well. And uh, we head back in this clip to 2017 when he was in the Brooklyn's Clubhouse uh, talking to Simon Taylor. Ladies and gentlemen, I think it's fair to say that Great Britain produced three great Grand Prix drivers in the 1950s. Sterling Moss, Mike Hawthorne and Tony Brooks. Now in these days of worldwide TV audiences and million dollar retainers and endless media conferences, this man wouldn't be as famous as Lewis Hamilton or Jensen Button. And I don't think he would have enjoyed it much. Tony has always been a man to let his performances on the track do the talking. So we're very honoured that he's agreed to come and spend the first evening with us, with Pina, uh, a sportswoman herself. She was an international basketball player before she married Tony. And they've been together, I should point out, for 58 years. Now, for Now, because Tony is much too modest to recite the statistics of his career, I just scribbled down a few of them. In 1958, in his, in, I'm sorry, in 1955, in his first Formula One race, I think his first single-seater race, he scored the first Grand Prix victory by a British driver in the British car since 1924. In his second World Championship Grand Prix, he finished second. In his third World Championship Grand Prix, he won. During his three seasons with Van Wall and with Ferrari, he won 50% of the Grand Prix that he finished. And I think I'm right in saying that during the 1950s, only Fangio, Ascari, and Moss won more Grand Prix. It's amazing to realise it, but Tony's win at the British Grand Prix at Aintree in 1957, shared with Sterling Moss in the Van Wall, that's 60 years ago uh, next month, so that's something we should draw a quick pint for. That win in 1957 in the British Grand Prix was the first ever win in a World Championship Grand Prix by a British car. And then when Van Wall withdrew, T 
Terry was immediately hired as the number one at Ferrari. Well, Terry, you've always been a modest man. You've never made a fuss about your achievements. <clears throat> do, you, do you sometimes feel that you've never really had the recognition that you deserve for your motor racing achievements? No, not at all. Um, I enjoyed uh, motor racing up to the satisfaction out of it, and uh, um, uh, you know, the, uh, I'm always prepared to be judged by uh, my results. You know, and uh, I never had the uh, ambition of trying to sort of uh, publicise myself with the idea of sort of turning it into uh, into um, monetary return. Um, we got uh, we got. Um, Prize money, got some retainers in those days, but uh, um, I'm probably overstating uh, their value when I said they're peanuts compared <laughs> 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 with today. Um, but I was never interested. I mean, Sterling was a, a professional, uh, uh, you know, he, uh, from beginning to end, and um, that was his life. And I think, uh, you know, I think weather racing uh, was, was his life in. in Many many ways, uh, but um, uh, he um, uh, so he maximised his publicity, which is necessary. And uh, as a result, of course, he's still um, known worldwide as, uh, as much, I think, almost as much as when he was uh, performing and uh, winning Grand Prix. But um, uh, no, I'm perfectly happy, and uh, um, I'm extremely honoured. Oh, to never do it, but um, you've you just given me a very good uh, introduction, and uh, <coughs> that is satisfaction in itself. And uh, 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 so, the short answer to your question, which I've uh, managed to uh, lengthen quite a bit, is uh, no, I hope never worry about not being receiving more publicity. Well, you, you say that, <coughs> excuse me, you say that Sterling Moss was always a professional. In your case, you are actually going to be a dentist. Yes. You never intended to be a, a, a yes. racing driver. Yeah. Um, you, you started off just doing it for fun. There is your first racing car. Yes. That is a Enisol, which was yes. uh, very much a road-going sports car. Yes. And I think while you were racing that, you were busy studying to be a dentist. Yes, I was. Before I um, answer that question, I should perhaps have uh, clarified my previous answer, and that is that. Uh, Although I was never a uh, professional like Sterling in, the in, terms of, in terms of making uh, motor, uh, motor racing my life, uh, behind the wheel um, I was as totally committed mm. as anybody else because uh, uh, your life was on the line, particularly in the 1950s. So uh, I was totally professional behind the wheel, mm. but when I got out of the car I was, you know, Tony Rooks and uh, just enjoying the, uh, the environment. Um, but um, coming back to your question, yes, it was my um, my mother's Helios Silverstone there. And, it's your uh, mother's? My, yes, my mother's Helios Silverstone. So did you always take your parents to the front of these? Well, yes, to start with, she had a TCMG, and uh, that was very suitable for club motor racing. So uh, um, I um, bought a book called um, by Charles Mortimer about racing in Helios Silverstone, and I read this book, and I thought, oh, this. Uh, this sounds, uh, you know, very good and uh, the ideal car. And um, I got, uh, I got my father and mother to read this book, and uh, <laughs> I just uh, <laughs> plowed through it and so on. And uh, anyway, by the 
constant drip approach. I managed to suggest that uh, we should uh, change our TCMG for uh, a Helio Silverstone. And uh, we actually found this one, I say found, in an advert. Uh, it was in the West Country. And um, I think um, we paid, I think, uh, £700 for it. And um, I sold my motorbike. And uh, uh, with a bit of help from uh, you know who, uh, we managed to find the £700 and uh, buy this car and another. It was such a tremendous sport because, uh, as you see, it was not exactly uh, an ideal car for shopping. <laughs> so she, uh, she yeah, totally accepted the, uh, the exchange of a lovely TCMG and another car. It was the first car I ever drove, had a beautiful gearbox. And um, she very sportingly agreed to swapping her TCMG for for that car. So two and a half litre Riley engine. And um, of course, uh, one of the things that helped me to sell the car to, uh, the idea to my father and mother, was that uh, I had this book which showed how reliable it had been. And uh, you know, he gave some expenses and so on. So it was, you know, we weren't getting uh, out of our depth or anything like that. It was a reasonable car. In fact, an ideal car for club motorways. It wasn't fast enough, but it was fast enough for me to get the uh, about well, you attract Brooklyn's News. Undoubtedly, uh, one of the highlights of the year was the Brooklyn's Innovation Academy. Um, this is an academy that's based on the Science Summer School program, which was co-founded by Professor Brian Cox and Lord Andrew Mawson. Uh, the Brooklyn's event was an all-day event with about 400 pupils taking part and they took part in uh, special lessons that were devised from organisations such as uh, McLaren, F1, the NHS, Halion, Airbus and many more. Uh, the idea is to give the students uh, an opportunity to get up close to experts in STEM subjects, that's the science, technology, engineering and maths, and to find about all the uh, amazing opportunities and challenges in di different sectors such as uh, medical technology, motorsport, aerospace and robotics. It was a brilliant day and um, we certainly hope to do some more like this uh, in the new year. The Museum Events Programme has also had a bit of a, a shake-up and with the introduction of some new events this year. Particularly one a, a little later in the year which will be showing off uh, working vehicles. So everything from tractors to mobile cranes, airfield vehicles will be on site at Brooklands. So look out for the Best of British event, which actually takes place over the Coronation Weekend. And I'm sure that uh, Paddington Bear will also be making a special guest appearance. Other new days uh, include a German car day, a French day, and other popular days such as the American day and the Italian car day. They, they will all be returning as well. So uh, keep an eye out on the brooklandsmuseum.com website where you'll find all the details of every event that's coming up in 2023. It all starts off in January with one of the biggest events of the year, uh, the New Year's Day Classic Meet. With hundreds, if not thousands, of classic cars, motorbikes, trucks, you name it, they'll be there. 
was followed up at the, the end of the month on January the 29th by the Vintage Sports Car Club's Winter Driving Test. That's a great opportunity to see vintage cars being thrown about the finishing straight and on the banking through a series of cones and special driving tests. Always a great spectacle. Again, check out that website, brookensmuseum.com, where you'll find the details. The Members Events Programme also gets underway in January, on the 19th, in fact, uh, with a talk from racing driver Mike Wilds, who uh, won the 1986 Group C2 World Sports Car Championship. His career uh, spans Formula 1, Formula 3, Formula 5000, and uh, many other different types of racing formulas. That should be a great talk. Tickets are still available for that. Also coming up this year, we have uh, a talk on Britain's V-Bombers, which is already sold out. However, there are some live stream tickets still available for that one on the 16th of February. And then in March, we have author Patrick Lynch, who's uh, coming in to talk about the famous Gordon Bennett and the Gordon Bennett race that uh, is named after him. Again, all details on brooklandsmuseum.com. And we wish you all from uh, Brooklands members a very happy and prosperous new year. Thanks for listening. Yeah.